So uh, I want you to turn in Scripture. We're, we're, we're kind of jumping through Job. We're in the 42nd chapter, if you want to turn to that. And we'll be in the 38th chapter, too. We're going to look at two things this morning uh, in connection with this whole understanding of, of the suffering that we have in the world that we go through that sometimes is so very, very difficult for us. Well, most of the time, so very difficult for us. And, uh, okay, Job 42. Stand together, please. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and in ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is right like my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. This is the word of God. You may be seated. In verse 5, says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He means I had a conceptual knowledge of you, but not a direct encounter with you. That's all he means by that when he says that. Job is a book for adults. Uh, it's a book for adults. It's not sugar-coated. When it comes to encountering God, many say, I, I want to meet God. I mean, I want to meet God. Scripture says, be careful what you ask for. Be careful. When you say, I want to see God or I want to meet God, you usually think in order to do that, I'll have to pray, I'll have to obey, I'll have to surrender, all of these other things. And we go through a litany of these things. But it seems that almost always the way God gets you face to face with him is through suffering, that you go through suffering in your life. The experience of God's presence is, is not necessarily pleasant. When God shows up, it's not a Hallmark card, a ray of light coming through the stained glass windows moments. For me, the book of Job was one of the hardest books in the Bible. It's not an easy read. It's, it's the longest book in the Bible. It's 42 chapters long, and it's on suffering. The, the, the story itself is actually very short. There's the first several chapters, the beginning, and then there's the very end, the last chapters, where the story really takes uh, a fold. In the middle are these long, 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 long speeches that are given. Uh, in the beginning, we're told Job was a man who feared God. He shunned evil. He was an upright man. He was a righteous man, devout, extremely wealthy. That's what we know about Job. God allows Satan to attack him. And twice Satan says, I'm going to do this to Job. 
And God says, I'll let you do that, but not that, right? He comes to him and says it again, Satan. And he says, I'll let you do that, but you're not going to do that. What Satan did, of course, was one day in, in the first chapter of Job, was he was standing at home and a messenger comes and he says, I was keeping your cattle and, and plunderers came and attacked and they took them and they killed the servants and I escaped to tell you this. And the second servant comes up not long after that and he says, I was with your sheep and lightning came from the sky, destroyed all the sheep and all the servants and I alone escaped to tell you. And then it was the camels. And so this means that Job's wiped out. He's a poor man. He's a poor man. And then finally, the fourth servant says, I was in the home where all your children were feasting together. A wind came out of the desert. The house collapsed. All your children are dead, all ten. Seven sons, three daughters, and I alone have escaped to tell you these things. So we're told here that Job rips his clothes, shaves his head, falls to the ground and said, and he, it, said, it specifically says he didn't sin, but it says, naked I came, naked I shall return. And we sang this, didn't we, just a minute ago. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. Pretty remarkable, actually. Pretty remarkable. He's actually dealing with this issue of the loss theologically. He says, uh, okay, uh, we all came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave that way, all of us. God gives, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Satan attacks again. He attacks again, and this time his health. And again, God says, I'll let you do this, but you're not going to do this. This time it's too much for Job. We're told he's afflicted with running sores all over his body. He sat in the ashes and he scraped himself with pieces of pots to get the pus and the, uh, the running sores off. He's afflicted with sores, the scripture says, from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. But I don't think that was really the kicker for Job. I think he says, naked I came. He can deal with this. I, I get, he says, I, I, get, I, I think I could have handled this. Then Job gives him these, we talked about last week, these four miserable counselors. Uh, or Satan sent them, or, or God allowed them to come. It's an interesting dynamic there of what's, what's happening. On the one hand, Job's wife in the second chapter counsels him, and she says, curse God and die, right? We know that. Curse God and die. But Job holds on because he says, you're talking like a foolish woman. You're talking like a fool. Now, now, Job is smart. You know, he, 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 notice he doesn't say, you're a foolish woman. You know, he's been to marriage counseling, you know, and he gets it. He's not saying, you are a foolish woman. He says, I've known foolish women, and you're acting like one. Remember that, men. Remember that. You're, you're not, but I've seen them, and you're, you're, you're acting like one. Okay? And that's what he's saying here. So here's what's interesting in this passage of Scripture. She says, Get up and just say, I hate God. But Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar say, get up and say, hate you, hate me. You know, She blames God and says, God is wicked, curse God. These guys say, we've never seen an innocent man perish. We talked about this last week. God wouldn't do this unless you messed up, 
unless you did something terrible. Why would God do this to you? Repent. So one says, I hate God. The other says, I hate me. One says, blame God. One says, blame you. Chapters 3 through 30, he and his miserable counselors go round and round and round. And that's what it's all about. They go back and forth, and Job yells, and he screams. He says, I cursed the day that I was born, the night that they cried, it's a boy. Why didn't I die at birth? I mean, he's, 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 he's looking at his life. And Job continually says two things in Scripture, two things. First, he says, I'm innocent. And again and again, he says, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm a good man. I'm a good man. Actually, in Job, if you want, you should read this this week. In Job 29 and chapter 30 and chapter 31, he talks about his life. He talks about who he is. And it's one of the highest, noble, most complete system of ethics that you're going to find anywhere in all of literature. He speaks of social righteousness, personal righteousness, sexual righteousness, relational righteousness. It's amazing what he says there in those passages. I'm a good man. I'm an innocent sufferer. I'm a good man. The second thing he says is, God won't talk to me. God won't talk to me. I've been cut off from God. There's one place in Job 23 where he says, if only I could go to where he is, to his dwelling place, I would state my case before him, you know, I'd tell him the way I feel about things, I'd fill my mouth with arguments, I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. So he says two things, I'm an innocent sufferer, and secondly, I've been cut off. Where is he? I want to talk to him. But God's not talking to me. Finally, God shows up in chapter 38, right? He appears in the storm and in the whirlwind, and he answers Job. Now, this is where I had my biggest problem as I look at the scripture, I mean, theologically with some things. What troubles me is two things God does not do. Two things God does not do. And this is where I can say that Job is a book for adults. Uh, first, God gives no explanation at all. No explanation at all. God does have purposes. God always has purposes for your life and for my life. God always has that which he is enriching lives, enriching Job's life, ways in which he's going to deepen and enlarge and change Job for that which is good. And God doesn't say one thing about it, about his purposes. Job has been asking over and over, why? Why? And God says, nothing, nada, nada. No explanation of why he's going through all of this in his life. The second thing, from what I can tell, and, and I'm, I'm just gleaning like you do here as I look at it, he gives absolutely no comfort to Job at all. Did you notice? No comfort comes. In fact, God goes after Job relentlessly. He starts to come at him. He seems to say one thing over and over and over and over again. And Job gets it because Job says, you say, who is this? You say, who is this? The thing that God says over and over again that doesn't seem to be an explanation or a comfort is, who are you? Job, who are you? 
Who are you? It's incredible prose as we look at this passage of Scripture. Job, who are you? For example, in, in chapter 38, he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations? Of, we know that famous thing. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I gave orders in the morning and set the dawn in its place? Surely you were there. Where were you when I set the boundaries of the ocean and said, this far you can go and no further? Surely you were there. You're so old. You're so wise. Surely the lightning bolts report to you, Job. <laughs> All the stuff that happens, they come to you. They come to you and say, here we are, the way they come to me. And I send them along the way, like I do. Come, this must be true because you know so much about the course of the world. You know so much about everything. That's just in 38, chapter 38. And Job is going, he doesn't know what to say about anything, right? I mean, God's just coming at him. And, and he stammers out a response. He says, I cover my mouth. I got nothing. I don't know how to answer God. And you know what God says? I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm not done yet, Job. Do you know what God says? I'm not finished. In chapter 40, God says, you say that I'm unjust? You say that I'm unjust. Try your own hand at justice, Job. Try your own hand. Look around at every proud person and bring them down low. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust, and then I will admit that your own right hand can save you. You think I'm unjust? No explanation, no comforts, no answers, and yet the, the most flabbergasting thing happens. Job is changed by it. I mean, think about it, what God's doing to him. He's changed by it. In chapter 38, verse 2, he says, you ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in the dust and the ashes. The turbulence, seems to me, inside Job begins to be put to rest. I mean, I mean, think of everything that's happened to him. The loss of everything that he has and his family, everything is gone. And this, this, this questioning, this turbulence, his pride is humbled. He's changed and he's satisfied. He's satisfied. The thing that's so upsetting to me is it seems like God came and did all the wrong things to Job. And it helped him. It helped him. And then God says over and over again, my servant Job, you have responded properly. You responded well, properly. Did you see how many times he said that at the end? If you read the end of Job, it's over and over and over again. He says to Eliphaz, go to my servant Job, my servant Job. 
make those sacrifices to my servant Job. And here's what we learn. There's a philosophical lesson. There's a foundational lesson, biblically, that we have here. And then there's a practical lesson that, is, that comes to us when we think about our own suffering. The philosophical lesson, a lot of people are amazed at the dialogue between God and Satan. And they say, how in the world can that be? And these are not new things. I mean, they're new to, to people who've not looked at it before, that are like young people. That are, I mean, some of these arguments are, are arguments that have been around for a while. And they say, well, how in the world can this be? And some systems would say, and you know this, God is good, but he can't be powerful. He loves us, but he can't control evil. Other systems say, well, God is everything, right? God is everything. Evil is a part of him. He wills it. It's a common argument. It's not an old, that's not a new argument. It's an old argument. In other words, they say if he's all-powerful, he's not good. Because if he was good, he wouldn't allow evil. Right? That's just the argument. Always has been. Look at all the evil in the world. Look at all the bad things that are happening in this world. How can God be a God that's powerful? How could he allow these things? And God shows us it's not necessarily that easy. He's not trying to answer all the questions. He's showing us in this remarkable book, in Scripture, in what he's trying to say here, that on the one hand, nothing comes into Job's life that is not a part of God's plan. That's the first thing. That's for you and that's for me. Nothing comes into your life that's not a part of God's plan. On the other hand, God controls Satan. And we saw this in the opening of the book. It's very clear that God is absolutely in control of everything that happens. There are things he allows, yet he never lets anything out of his control. How do I know that? I mean, it just says it point blank. Satan, you can do this, but you can't do that. You're not going to do that to him. Because he has purposes for his children. He has purposes for the people of God. And when they suffer, that, that's, a, that's the philosophical lesson. It's pretty amazing, really. It's an amazing thing. God's in control. The foundational lesson that we look at this, and we look at it in Scripture, when you deal with suffering, you've got to listen to God himself. This is what God tells you. In, in chapter 38 and verse 2, he says, Don't obscure my counsel without knowledge. Without knowledge. You think you know so much. And this is fairly simple, really, when you look at it. Uh, again, it's, a, it's an adult thing. It's an adult thing. This is strong medicine. There's, there's no neutrality here. There's no gray areas or fudging that's here. Don't obscure my counsel without knowledge. Either I'm God or you are. That's what he's saying. There's nothing in the middle. I'm God or you are. There's nothing in the middle. There's no, you don't, don't play with this. You know, God is saying, Job, one of the reasons you're in this mess is because you think you can understand everything. Where were you? Then he starts with that. Where were you when I invented the lightning bolts? Were you there when I invented snow? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where, were you there when I, when I set the dawn? How could you know? How in the world dare you? And he goes after Job. 
He goes after him. It seems harsh, but what he's really saying is, this is why you're so miserable, Job. This is why you're so miserable. Be reasonable. There's nothing in the middle. Either there is a God, and therefore I have to know more than you. I'm God. Or you sit in judgment on me. And that's impossible. And that's impossible. As difficult as it is to believe in God in the face of suffering, it's more difficult not to believe in God in the face of suffering. Because if there's no God, there's nothing to complain about. It's meaningless. There's nothing to complain about. Either we're the judge and God is coming before us, or God is the judge and we're coming before him. There's nothing in the middle. There's nothing, and that's what the lesson is. This is a hard lesson. This is an adult lesson. If there is a God, you think you know better? You think you know better? No, that's infallible logic. It's a binary choice that we make. Is that hard? Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. The first lesson is to be tough on yourself. Be tough on yourself of who you are. Humble yourself before God. Either there's no God and you can't complain, or there is a God and your knowledge can't be as good as his knowledge. Who obscures my counsel without knowledge, without divine knowledge? Who do you think you are? That's what God is saying here. Secondly, (laughs) excuse me, down in verse 3, Job says, you said, listen now and I will speak, I will question you. In the very beginning, this is the dialogue between God and Satan, right? There's a dialogue that's happening here. And God says, you've you've seen my servant Job? He's talking to Satan. You You see my servant here? My servant Job, there's none like him in all the world. Nobody, nobody like him. And this is the question Satan asks that has haunted me. And I look at this and I think about it. He says in the first chapter, in verse 9, he says, does Job serve God for nothing? See, I think, to me, when I look at this, I think the whole thing of Job hangs on that of what this is all about and what God is trying to do here. Does Job serve God for nothing? In other words, he's saying, isn't he getting something? Isn't he getting something? Is he serving you sincerely? Is he serving you freely and without, uh, w- with love and respect? Is, he, is, he, is this just love? Is this Job? I'm going to attack him, take all of his stuff, take everything in his life, his health, And then you'll see, he'll curse you to your face. You know what this is about? You know what what this is about? So the suffering begins. It's devastating. It's devastating. And all God does over and over and over and over again, when you come to the end of the chapter, is he says, my servant Job, 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 my servant. What has he done? What is God doing here? He has defeated Satan through suffering. My servant, you, you, New Testament tells us this theologically. 
He has defeated Satan through suffering. He has made Job into his servants. And that's what this is all about. Satan was partly right. Whenever suffering comes, God is saying to you, now we'll see. When suffering comes into your life, God, now we'll see. Now we'll see whether you got into this relationship with me, relationship with God, to get me to serve you, or for you to serve me, my servant Job, my servant Job, my servant Job. All, write this down, all suffering leads to servanthood. All suffering leads to servanthood. Remember what I said several weeks ago when we started talking about this. I said to, to you, suffering does surgery on your trust. What do you trust in? Suffering does surgery on what you believe, what you trust, where you put your faith, where you put your life. When you lose the thing that you love, it's painful. These things that we have around us. Until suffering comes, you don't realize that all of us, to some degree, every one of us, are actually trying to get God to be our servant. Give us this, give us that, take care of this, take care of that, take care of that health thing over here. We want God to be our servant, to get the things that we really worship. Every piece of suffering, to think about this. Every piece of suffering, every experience of suffering is about servanthood. It's about servanthood. Every time Job is afflicted, every piece of suffering is God defeating Satan, God defeating evil by getting you to the place where you say, getting us to the place, his people, his children, where we say, it's not me who should be questioning you, God. It's not me who needs to question you about this. You are not the servant and me the master. I'm the servant. I trust you. Though, then what does he say? Though you slay me, right? Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. It's about trust. I am his servant. And, and, and God says that to him. Oh, this is my, my servant Job, my servant Job, my servant Job. When you go through suffering, it's not God who stands in judgment. It's you. It's you. It's your faith. It's what you trust in. Where do you put your life? Are you his servant? That's the question of Job, really. That's what Job understands. I'm the servant. You're the master. Most of all, uh, what you have to do is in suffering, God says, you got to be tough on yourself. You got to be tough on yourself. Realize there's a purpose here in suffering. There is an explanation in suffering. There's a comfort here, but it's a severe comfort. It hurts. It's a severe explanation of suffering. Suffering's difficult. There's a song that we we've sung that that, that I I can sing it for you, but I don't I don't want you to leave right away. But it goes like this. Though sorrows befall us and evils oppose, God leads his dear children along. I like that. God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all the foes. God leads his dear children along. 
Some through the waters, some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. All the day long. And the last thing I'll say is just this. We, we need to look at the one Job points to. As he goes through his suffering, Job points to him. And you see Job pointing to who? The whole Bible points to him, right? And we sang about it. We sang about it. Let me give you a quick picture of the real Job. The real Job. Do you remember how Job said, I'm an innocent sufferer? I'm an innocent sufferer. No, 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 no. Job, you're not an innocent sufferer. There's only one. There's only one whom God has ever afflicted who did not deserve it. You're not innocent. And you remember how Job said, I've been cut off from God. No, Job, no. Don't you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have any idea what it means to be cut off from God when, you're, when you love God with all your heart. You're not that guy. Two things Job insists upon were true of him are not true of him, but they're true of Jesus who intercedes for us when you believe in him as Lord and Savior. So you see it, this, 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 this scripture, to, to the miserable counselors, he says in Job 42, you've not spoken what's right. My servant Job has, so my servant Job will pray for you and I will hear his prayer. See, Job is a type of Jesus. He's a type of Jesus. He's the only one who's really been cut off from God. Jesus is the only one. If you're suffering today or you're going through suffering, you're not cut off from God. It feels that way. It feels that way. Why? Why? Because you're defining your relationship with God in terms of whether or not he's serving you. Is he serving you? Therefore, you have a lousy relationship when he's not coming and you're ringing the bell. I need this to change in my life. I hurt. Change this, God. Change this in my life. And you call. No, 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 no. Jesus, he is the one. He's the one. He's the one who has completely been cut off from God and who is totally innocent. I'm not innocent. You're not innocent. That's the foundational truth of, of the Bible. And then, then lastly, a practical lesson that we have here in Scripture. And, and what I love, I always have, is isn't it amazing that in the end God says, my servant Job did the right thing. My servant Job did the right thing. <laughs> what did Job do? Job cursed the day he was born. I wish I hadn't been born. He accused God of injustice. He ranted and he raved and he, he hollered and he bellowed and he, he was filled with self-pity. It was terrible. Here's the most important thing. And I, and I mentioned this again. It was part of what we said last week. He always did it trying to get to God. He always did it trying to get to God. Job 23 says, Oh, that I might find him. Oh, that I might find him. No, he didn't have good motives even in this whole thing. He says, I want to find him. I'll tell him a thing or two. 
I'll tell God a thing or two about what's going on down here. Wasn't even good motives. But he never stopped talking to God. Never. He never stopped praying. Never stopped going after God. He just, just pushed and pushed and pushed. And in the end, he really didn't find nearly as much about the meaning of suffering as we know today. He didn't know what we know. You know, we know the real sufferer. We know Jesus. We know the one who was really cut off. But Job got enough. He got enough because he never stopped pushing toward God. It's amazing. It really is amazing, this passage. All I can say to those of you who are suffering, who are saying this is tough, this is tough. Where's the explanation? Where's the reason? The reason is you have to see who you are and who he is. He's the master. You're the servant. Pray to him. Go after him, and you'll see him. You'll see him. There'll be a reality eventually when you, when you see the suffering in your life. Not, not a hearing of the ear, Job says, but I said, not, not that, but, but a seeing of the eye. A seeing of the eye. My experience in suffering is that I have drawn closer to my wife than ever. Than ever. I've drawn closer to God than ever. And I've grown closer to you than ever. That's my experience. That's my experience. I know we don't want to suffer. No one wants to suffer. We don't want that kind of experience of God, and yet God made him suffer. Not that we might not suffer. It's not that we might not suffer, but that in our suffering, when we suffer, we will be drawn to him. Why? That we might become like him in our suffering. We might become like Jesus in our suffering. And I'll close with this song that I liked as well. Actually, it's a poem that was written. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Just be a servant. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let's pray together. And Father, we're thankful for the, the scriptures, how, how rich, how, how, how much wisdom uh, as we read. And we get so confused sometimes because it's beyond, a lot of these things are just beyond our understanding. And we don't understand. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a mystery to this. And, and help us not to take the mystery out of God. We just, Lord, we just think we know so much. And we've got to understand this. And, and then we got everything under control. And we can name it so we can control it. And we've got we to gotta move our hearts and our minds so that we can't understand everything about God. Why he does what he does. The mystery of his movements. The beauty of it. 
the rightness of it, the purpose that many times we don't understand is there. But help us to understand what we can't understand and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our lives to the end that you might be glorified in our thinking, in our living, in our relationships, and in our loving of you. And that's our heart, our Father, and that's our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.